1: Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, August 14th, 2020. Happy Friday to everybody out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to us today, whether it be the morning or anytime you uh, get around to listening to our Friday episode here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Uh, I think I'm excited, as a lot of people are, that the weekend is here. And again, weekends are kind of different in the sense for me that uh, you know, I'm I'm unemployed. <laughs> I'm just doing this podcast every week and trying to uh, job search and, and do uh, things around the house and, and stay active. And so those are things for me that uh, as far as the days go, don't change a whole lot for me. But I know there are people out there who are still you know, in that work mode and still working, hopefully a lot of people getting back to work here. So, you know, I, I've said this before, but certain days just feel like certain days, right? Whatever that means, as simple as that sounds, Fridays always feel like Fridays. And and I think most Fridays, people are in a good mood one way or another, whether in a pandemic lockdown, or it's uh, the end of a work week for for some people. So, Uh, Happy Friday to everyone out there whenever you are listening to this. Uh, A few things on my mind today, but uh, first I want to talk about our guest today. Brian Marine is a college baseball umpire, good friend of mine. We used to umpire out here in California when he was on the West Coast. Uh, We worked quite a few games. I actually worked one of my first college baseball games with Brian. As I got out of the minor leagues, we'll talk about that in our interview a little bit. We're also going to talk about the differences really in the East Coast versus the West Coast. Cause Brian has uh, lived on both uh, a lot of, a lot of the time he, he grew up on the East coast, kind of the the Massachusetts and the New York area came out to California for, I think over 10 years. And now he's moved back uh, the past couple years. He's been back in just outside of Philadelphia. So he prefers it over there on the East coast. I don't mind the East coast. It's okay. Uh, this is where I grew up uh, in California. But uh, as I've mentioned so many times, I'm kind of looking to go somewhere else. I don't know that it'll be the East coast, but uh Anyway, Brian is our is our guest today, taking us uh, around third, getting us home safe for the weekend. Brian Umpires College Baseball, as I mentioned. He's actually worked a couple regionals the past couple years, so uh, we'll talk about that, what that experience is like. I talked to Brian kind of about how we're like younger guys, even though we may not feel as young as we used to, but we're uh, umpires, we're in our 30s, so uh, I, I think you know that's, qualifies for young as far as the umpiring world goes but uh, as days go by man it's uh, you feel less and yes less and less young that's for sure brian's originally from the east coast as i mentioned so we're going to talk a lot about east coast sports specifically the new york teams he's a big new york giants big new york yankee fan um, i'm going to ask him and talk to him a little bit about uh, what life was like being over in that area uh, almost 20 years ago when September 11th happened. Uh, there's all kinds of things we're going to cover. And it was great sitting down with my good friend, Brian Marine. He was uh, so gracious to get, spend some time with me uh, over the Zoom call. And I know he's a, he's a father now with a very young child. So finding the time to do these things obviously is uh, is not always easy. And I'm just this unemployed podcaster who's open to talk to anyone at any time. But it's all about finding finding the time and working around people's schedules. So in uh, moving forward, the people who come on this podcast, I, I can work around your schedule, man. I'm, I'm pretty wide open for now. Hopefully that changes soon, but for now uh, I, I can work with you. So if I found time, time to sit down with Brian. It was a lot of fun and looking forward to you guys hearing this episode here coming up very shortly. On Fridays also, we have our segment Suds with Studs, and we'll be getting into that very soon here. Suds with Studs is something I came up with on Fridays we talk about a hero, whether it be in law enforcement or it be someone from the military. The first couple of segments we did when we when we tried this out, they were Medal of Honor winners. And some of the other names maybe that you, you've heard of, uh, men like uh, Pat Tillman and uh, Robert O'Neill, who uh, shot and killed Osama bin Laden. Uh, Mike Murphy, who's another Medal of Honor winner. Um, these are some of the names that we've talked about. And I never give really a ton of details. I just try to get the story out there so that maybe you've heard of someone, maybe you haven't heard of someone that it encourages you to go look up these people, go look up the story. We got a great story today. It's actually something from about, uh, let's see, 40 years ago that occurred right here in my backyard, literally about three or four miles from where I live about 40 years ago is is a pretty crazy story that We'll mention today. I try to read as much information for you guys as I can. I do ramble a little bit, so I apologize. But uh, I hopefully encourage you to go check out this story and the brave men who are a part of this story. You're going to hear all about that here uh, very soon. I won't waste too much time today, but I did have a couple thoughts on my mind this Friday. Uh, one, you, where do I start with this? Uh, you know, <laughs> you ever been in a situation where Somebody just, uh, let let me, let me backtrack right now. There's a lot of people giving out their resumes, right? They're trying to look for a job. I know I am. I'm looking for a new career, kind of a new start. If you will, I think a lot of people are trying to move forward. They're putting their resumes out there, putting any experience they can down to kind of promote themselves and, and try to stand out in a job interview. Well, you ever been around people that like give you information without you asking like, I'm not someone who's hiring right now, and all of a sudden I get, uh, oh, well, I'm good at this. It's like people bragging about themselves, and I'm like, I just don't get that. I'll give you an example. So me and Brian, who's a guest today, we umpire college baseball, and I've umpired professional baseball, and man, I don't know how many times I've been in an argument with somebody, and they drop their resume on me in the middle of an argument. I'm like, well, that's cool, but I didn't ask for your resume, nor do I care, <laughs> well, I've been in baseball 30 years. I've never heard of that rule. And it's like, well, okay, well, then you weren't paying attention first of all, (laughs) but, uh, I digress. Uh, it's just funny when you're in an argument with someone, a lot of times you'll see it on social media or in everyday life. You're arguing. I I saw it all the time in officiating. Well, I've been coaching here 20 years and that's, and that's the worst call I've ever seen. I'm thinking, wow, that's the worst call you've ever seen. Uh, I don't think you've worked 20 years then because I've had your game multiple times and I'm not that good. So it's just stuff like that. It's so interesting the time we're in where it's all about promoting yourself. Social media has really caused people to promote themselves. And again, here I am on a podcast talking into a microphone that I'm hoping people are going to listen to. Uh, but man, we're in this just this age of like, hey, look at me. Hey, uh, look at all the great things I've done. and. It's such a fine line to me, like promoting yourself, getting your name out there, but also like coming across like you're this know-it-all. It's such a fine line. I mean, I've had a tough time over the years uh, and been told by friends and by uh, colleagues, they've told me, dude, you got to promote yourself more. You got to be a little bit more social in certain situations. You need to you need to value the things that you have done and the knowledge that you have and this and that. And while I understand that, I think it's, you know, I do, I do know that it's important. I don't know. For some people it's just not in our nature. What's funny about resume guy is that it's usually guys that are like a little more insecure, insecure in their abilities or their knowledge and so you always have to like talk about themselves. I, it doesn't even have to be a, be regarding a resume. There's guys I know who are what we call like one-uppers. Like you tell a story and then another guy jumps in and he's got to like one-up you. And you're like, well, that's cool. Like, and I think in general, like when guys are around the fire pit, drinks the beers or something, yeah, that kind of happens. Like, oh man, I got another story. Oh, I got a story. I got a story. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, that's cool. But there's some times when it's like you hear something from someone And you just know resume guys got to jump in. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you this. Let me one up your story, you know, and I, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it. I try to be have a little self-awareness and not be that guy. But, but it is funny to me that some people just love to uh, either jump on camera or jump on the Snapchat or jump on the Instagram. Uh, Again, I don't know how these things go down. Some of these people, they say, here, take a picture of me doing this. Uh, I think that's the funniest thing in the world when, when, uh, people try to, to pretend to have these like candid photos or videos. And it's like, you literally had to have your hand, your phone to someone to do this stuff. Uh, so anyway, that's, I've said that many times on this program, but, uh, it's just funny. I it got me thinking the other day about, uh, you know, watching a baseball game. And I think someone said that on the, on the radio, even it was a radio or a, television broadcaster oh i've been i've been in baseball 20 30 years i've never seen that and a lot of times it's not meant derogatory or anything something does pop up where you see like a crazy play or something and it, it was really funny i'll give you another example bill Barnes, who you guys know comes on this program every wednesday we were umpiring independent league baseball in the american association and we had a rather crazy play the night before uh the radio broadcaster came in and said man in in 15 years of professional baseball. I've never seen that. And, uh, and Bill right away was like, Hey, in 25 plus years of umpiring, I've never seen that. And it was, it was funny because Bill didn't do it to like brag about himself, but he did it to like bring the guy down a little bit because it was like, that's cool, man. You've been in the game that long, but like no one really asked. (laughs) So I hope you guys know what I mean by this, by, by resume guy and guys that are kind of just either insecure uh, or, I don't know. They 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 promote when there isn't something there to promote. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to sound ignorant here. There are there are plenty of times you got to promote yourself and promote your knowledge and uh, just you know your abilities. And I think that's important. And that's something I've struggled with. I'm trying to do a better job of. But I think it's always it's always important to be hungry but be humble. I mean, those two things have got to go hand in hand. If you're not one of those, I think you're gonna you're gonna fall short of, of the goals you wanna you want in your life. Uh, I'm not trying to to be some great uh, uh you know, <laughs> have this uh, Socrates moment or anything, but I do think those things are important. And, and you you gotta be hungry. You gotta you gotta be humble though, and you gotta treat people treat people well. Don't ever big time anybody. Don't ever big league anybody. I I just think those are things that if if you take care of those things and you're good to other people and treat people as equals, I, I think you can't go wrong. So that's my random thought this morning. It may have jumped all over the place. I do apologize. But again, every day I'm trying to learn here and get better and just express my random thoughts that I have uh, in the uh, the opening segment here during uh, during our show. So we have a lot to get to. I'll move on right now. Hopefully that uh, that made sense to you guys. But anyway, let's get into our Suds with Studs segment uh, because we got a great story ahead that I think you will enjoy listening to. Uh, it's pretty inspiring stuff, a little heartbreaking as well, but, uh, pretty crazy that it's something that occurred not too far from where I sit now. So that's pretty interesting. I hope you guys, after the, uh, the story here, the rundown, you guys check it out on your own, um, you know, do some research and just kind of look up, look up the story and, uh, really dig into it. I think, I think you, you will, uh. You'll definitely uh, be better for it if you do that as as i was here today so let's get into it with our suds with studs suds with studs segment and then we will go straight from that into our interview with our guest today brian marine Well, guys, it's Friday and the past couple of Fridays for a few months now, we have been doing a segment called Suds with Studs. And the reason we named it that is because we like talking about uh, some heroes, whether they be in the military or law enforcement, just some incredible stories. These are people that uh, have really shown uh, incredible heroism, uh, extreme courage, and they are people that we would absolutely love. To have a beer with even if it were not possible because some of them have passed on but these are people we would love to have a beer with if it were possible and you can guarantee that we would be buying not just the first round but all the rounds so that is what suds with studs is all about and today uh from my good friend bill Barnes, a suggestion uh, he uh, gave me we're going to be talking about the uh norco bank robbery shootout in night from 1980 you're going to hear a lot of names from a lot of different police officers Uh, There'll be two at the end that I want to honor today specifically, but you're going to hear a lot of names. I I could skip over them, but I think all the names are very relevant. So I want uh, to include all the names uh, of the law enforcement officers that uh, helped to uh, find and apprehend those responsible for this bank robbery in Norco, California, which actually is, guys, where I'm sitting right now, it's about three miles, maybe four miles from where I'm sitting in my home here in Eastfield, California. Uh, Norco is just down the street, literally. So it's really hit home when Bill sent this information to me about this bank robbery in 1980. And uh, you know, I always knew and and thought that kind of the North Hollywood shootout was was the biggest shootout that I had uh, I had seen in in my uh, you know my young life here. And uh, you know, this was something before I was born, five years before I was born. But it was something that. Uh, Bill sent me and he told me that he's reading kind of a book on this whole uh, situation so he's going to fill us in a little bit on this Uh, on his upcoming episode next week uh, when he's on for the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. He will tell us kind of his thoughts on this event and also fill us in maybe on some of the guys that were involved in this. I don't think he knew a lot of guys directly, but he did know some guys who were involved in this indirectly. Uh, Bill was Riverside Police Department. Uh, Most of the law enforcement involved in this story were Riverside County sheriffs and San Bernardino County sheriffs, as well as some California highway Patrol. So we'll get into all of it right now. But I do want to thank Bill for passing along this story to me. I'm going to read a lot today and try not to uh, skip over too many uh, important parts, but try to get all the all the good parts in it. And I think it's something that uh, everyone out there listening uh, can appreciate and, and really. Uh, you know, make us think twice about uh, some of the things we say about law enforcement, because at, at any given day, uh, there is uh, a strong possibility that something like this could happen. So let's get right into it. Uh, May 9th, 1980, at around 340 p.m., five heavily armed bank robbers, um, uh, excuse me, five heavily armed ba- bank robbers stormed into the Norco Pacific, excuse me, Security Pacific Bank, as I mentioned, in Norco, California, uh, resulting in massive amounts of gunfire and uh, damaged at least 30 police cars, a police helicopter, and numerous nearby homes and businesses. Just an unbelievable shootout in the aftermath of the uh, the gunman uh, trying to escape as, as law enforcement was notified what was happening. Got there as quick as they could. We'll, we'll continue on here. At approximately 3.40 p.m., on May 9, 1980, five men arrived with shotguns, a G3 rifle, HK-93s, handguns, AR-15s, a katana, and an improvised explosive device. They robbed the North Norco branch of Security Pacific Bank. Deputies of the Riverside County Sheriff's Department responded to the call. They confronted the perpetrators outside the bank, and a shootout ensued. The perpetrators then stole a vehicle in the bank parking lot and fled the scene, leading police police on a 25-mile car chase into neighboring San Bernardino County. Riverside County deputies were joined in the pursuit by officers of other area law enforcement agencies, including the California Highway Patrol and the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. The perpetrators then ambushed the pursuing deputies and engaged them in another shootout in unincorporated San Bernardino County near Lytle Creek before escaping into the wooded area in the foothills of the San Bernardino Mountains. That's kind of a summary as to what happened. They were later captured uh, a couple days later, most of the perpetrators will say, uh, but we'll continue here into uh, the, the uh, some of the facts here, some of the, the storyline. Four robbers stormed into the bank and forced the tellers to hand over $20,000 in cash, while the fifth robber kept watch outside. Unknown to the robbers, an employee at a different bank across the street spotted them entering the bank and called the police. Riverside County Sheriff Deputy Glenn Belaski was the first officer to arrive at the scene. As he pulled up, one of the, op- excuse me, one of the robbers left outside with their getaway van radioed his partners inside the bank and said, we've been spotted, let's go, let's go. The robbers exited the bank and began to fire on Belaski's police cruiser, blowing out the windshield and forcing Belaski to throw the vehicle into reverse, crashing into another car in the street. Taking cover behind his vehicle, Belaski returned fire at the gunman. The gunman got into the van and once all five men were inside, they attempted to flee the scene continuing to shoot at Belaski. As the van sped away, a pellet from Belaski's shotgun struck the driver, Belisario Delgado, just behind his right ear, killing him and sending the van crashing into a telephone pole guy wire. The four remaining robbers then exited the vehicle and fired over 200 rounds at Belaski, putting 47 bullet holes in his cruiser. Belaski was hit five times in the face, upper left shoulder, both forearms, and the left elbow. By this time, deputies Charles Hill and Andy Delgado had arrived at the scene. While Delgado engaged the robbers with gunfire, Hill managed to evacuate Belaski in his cruiser and transport him to a nearby hospital. The robbers continued to fire at other officers arriving at the scene and attempted to escape again by commandeering a truck at at the intersection in front of the bank. As the four led a, per- as the four led a police pursuit, they shot at the pursuing officers and threw homemade bombs out the back of the truck. Overall, they damaged 33 police vehicles, including a police helicopter piloted by Lieutenant John Gibson and observed by Sergeant Harold Hittle, which was forced to land. The suspects pulled far ahead of the pursuing police officers and stopped to ambush them as they caught up. Deputy James Evans, one of the first units to come under attack during the ambush, was shot in the head and killed. The police, armed with only 38 specials, revolvers, and 12-gauge shotguns, were woefully outgunned. They were soon joined by San Bernardino County Sheriff Deputy D.J. McCarty, who brought an M16 to the shootout in a patrol car driven by Deputy James McFerrin. Shortly after he engaged the robbers with his rifle, they stopped shooting and fled the scene, running into the wooded area outside Lytle Creek, San Bernardino. There would have been a lot more dead cops on the road if not for that weapon, said Riverside County Sheriff Deputy Rolf Parks. After their capture, the suspects stated their intent was to fight to the death. The next day, three of the gunmen were arrested. The fourth, Manuel Delgado, was killed in a shootout with L.A. County Sheriff Department SWAT team in the foothills. Suspect Chris Harvin was hit once in the back by Deputy Evans, while suspect George Smith was hit twice in the left leg and groin by Deputy Belaski. In all, eight officers had been wounded. Riverside County Sheriff Deputy Glenn Belaski was hit five times in the face upper left shoulder, both forearms and the left elbow. Riverside County Sheriff Deputy Daryl Reed was hit once in the back of his left knee. Riverside County Sheriff Deputy Wolf Parks was hit three times in the head, face, and arm. Riverside County Sheriff Deputy Herman Brown was hit in the left lower leg by multiple bullet fragments. Riverside County Sheriff Deputy Ken McDaniels was hit once in the right shoulder. Riverside County Shepherd Deputy Sheriff Tony Renard was hit once in the left elbow. California Highway Patrol Officer Bill Crone was hit once in the right arm. San Bernardino County Sheriff Deputy D.J. McCarty was hit once in the right arm, and one of the police officers was killed. The three arrested suspects, George Wayne Smith and brothers Christopher and Russell Harvin, were convicted of 46 felonies and sentenced to life in prison without parole. One civilian 12-year-old boy. Robert Oglesby, who was, taken, who was taking a bicycle ride with his friends, was hit by a single bullet in the finger. Deputy Belaski recovered from his wounds, sustained in the shootout, and was awarded several decorations for his actions. He later became an officer in the United States Air Force, rising to the rank of lieutenant colonel and working as an electronic warfare officer. In response to the fact that the suspect's weapons were superior to that of the police responding to the incident, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department equipped their deputies with Ruger Mini-14s chambered in the 233-223 Remington, as well as the M-16 and AR-15. Police departments began purchasing more powerful firearms and equipping surveillance helicopters with weapons. Following the robbery, the Irvine Police Department used the case to create a training video. Though it occurred in 1980, it is still used in training law enforcement personnel in anti-terrorism and survival. As impetus for acquiring new weapons and as a training framework for anticipating violence, the Norco shootout contributed to the militarization of police forces across the United States. A street in Norco was named Deputy Evans Drive to honor James Evans, the officer of who was killed during the shootout. Well, that is a lot of information there, a lot of names, uh, kind of a pretty horrific event if you really think about it, uh, just how scary it could be. It's crazy that all of that happened right up the street from where I am now and ended, uh, unfortunately, and well, fortunately, that they uh, were able to capture and kill one of the other suspects, but unfortunately, in the fact that it was loss of life for law enforcement uh, in Mr. Deputy, uh, excuse me, Mr. Uh, Deputy Evans, as well as uh, the massive injuries that both the Riverside County uh, Sheriff's Department uh, suffered and the San Bernardino County Sheriff's uh, deputies suffered. Uh, Glenn Belaski, the, the man who was the first on the scene and was shot five different times and really uh, slowed down these bank robbers and was able to kill the driver uh, what a what a warrior that guy was in, in taking all that heavy fire five against one uh, just doing anything he could to slow them down and then to be shot five times meaning you were shot and you kept fighting multiple times he was shot and he kept fighting uh, really think about that unfortunately uh, Deputy James Evans who was ambushed led uh, leading the uh, pursuit uh, pretty cowardice Act by these bank robbers all around, of course, in, in all their actions, but especially in ambushing, uh, pursuing, pursuing deputies, pursuing law enforcement. And unfortunately, James Evans shot in the head and killed. I think this is a story, uh, a lot of information here that... We could kind of talk about all these people individually. every one of these people could be uh, our our suds with studs segment here, but i do want to i want do want to give a, a big tip of the cap and uh, raise a glass if you will to Sheriff Deputy Glenn Belaski, who was shot five times and held off the bank robbers as they were preparing to uh, to run off with the money they had stolen and was able to kill one of the Uh, bank robbers and hitting the driver just right. And I will say that uh, Deputy James Evans, who unfortunately lost his life and has a street named after him just up the road from my house here, uh, you, sir, I salute you. I salute uh, Mr. Glenn Belaski and James Evans. Uh, If it were at all possible, I would love to sit down and have a beer with you, and I would absolutely not just be buying the first round, but all the rounds. Cheers to you. I salute you both, as well as all the law enforcement involved in that very terrible day in Norco, California, both the Riverside County Sheriff's Department, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, as well as the California Highway Patrol. Your sacrifice uh, and, and courage that day is definitely something that I hope everyone takes from that story and not just that it was a crazy shootout, cops and robbers. This was real life. This was a, a tragedy and, and loss of life in law enforcement, as well as countless injuries and, uh, and wounded law enforcement officers. So I salute you all, but specifically today, I would love to raise a glass to James Evan, who unfortunately was killed, and to Deputy Glenn Belaski, who uh, really, really was uh, truly heroic in holding off the robbers as long as he could and suffered tremendous injuries. And then to see what he did and went on further in life to do, being in the Air Force and all the great things he did, as truly remarkable stuff. So that is what we're looking for here on our Suds with Studs segment, stories like that, honoring uh, military, honoring law enforcement. And I want to thank Bill Barnes once again, because I think that is uh, truly a remarkable event and something that uh, you know, I may have rambled on here uh, with, but, but I do think is pretty, pretty amazing. When you look at the big picture, you look at the, the courage and the heroism of uh, the people involved in this. And so I do want to salute them and uh, raise a tall one for them. Indeed that guys would love more uh, suggestions like that stories like that on our suds with studs segment. That's what we're looking for. Looking for more of those. So if you have any questions or excuse me, any suggestions, I should say, uh, please let me know. You know how to reach me. Uh, we'll get into. We'll talk about all that later. But that will be this week's uh, version and uh, segment of our weekly segment on Fridays, Suds with Studs. Okay, joining us today is Brian Marine, all the way from Warrington, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. Brian is an East coast, kid, East coast kid at heart. He spent some time out here on the left coast for a little bit in California for about 11 years or so. That's where we met, umpiring college baseball together. Uh, Brian's a big New York sports fan, uh, even though he was originally from Massachusetts. His parents are from New York. He he lives now in pennsylvania uh like i said we met in california so i'd like to hear his some of his opinions definitely on what it's like uh you know coming out to california after growing up on the east coast we're going to get into a lot of different things talk a lot of baseball and other sports brian marine thanks for joining us i know it's late where you're at thank you so much for coming on the program
0: thanks for having me past my bedtime
1: I, (laughs) i thought i thought those you east coasters you don't go to sleep yeah right <laughs> well well now that you're a father brian uh yeah you know staying up late has whole new meaning right
0: exactly yeah no i got a four-year-old daughter um my wife works at nights now so it's you know regular work during the day and then being a dad at night so it's getting tiresome <laughs> 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 to say the least so like it's funny because um I put her to bed, um, basically six nights a week and I start, you know, reading her a book. And, um, after I read her a book, you kind of just lay there with her for like a minute. And I, I just, I just start falling asleep. Like it just, <laughs> I put myself to sleep.
1: So she's four years old now. So she's running yep. around a little bit.
0: Oh yeah. She's great. Yeah. She's <laughs> starting to get into sports now. We just signed her up for soccer. So that's exciting. She's gonna be an athlete for sure.
1: Oh, taking after mom then.
0: oh yeah. Mom. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. No, oh. she, my, my wife's full time, you know, full Italian. So like that's soccer's huge in their family. So um yeah, she's gonna be definitely gonna be a soccer player for sure. But she likes everything. She likes um she likes, uh baseball. She likes watching uh, sports with me. Um, she likes basketball and hockey she loves all of them oh that's incredible I love it yeah. man that's great stuff hopefully she gets
1: your height though man <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> hopefully not hopefully not taller than me
1: uh, I hated uh, well I should't say that. I love working baseball with you Brian we, we've worked quite a few games together but it was always weird rocking next to you man you're just a giant <laughs> you're so I mean I'm very short but but you're oh man great presence out there love love it great times our last time we worked together I think it was Michigan State at Pepperdine probably yeah. five years ago or something maybe i don't I know so. I yeah yeah. but anyway uh good times um you were actually brian the first guy i worked with uh i believe out of minor league base i got out of minor league baseball and worked some division two game i want to say is dominguez hills that's where we met and yeah. uh i was working with you in t- 2013 and uh, trying to learn all these college mechanics and everything and you were very very nice to me and you know what was cool is I consider you a younger guy I don't know how old you are now but uh, you know younger guy was like okay this this could be fun not that old guys are bad but it was it was cool working <laughs> with you because we're a little more like-minded I think.
0: I, I completely agree yeah I actually remember that you when you mentioned that Dominguez Hills I I, I remember that series I, I remember um, because like <sighs> Every time it seemed like every time I worked back then, I was working with someone new just because I wasn't used to, you know, all these collegiate umpires. But when you came in and um, I saw you working the play for the first time, I'm like, oh, boy, this this kid can work. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I wasn't really used to working with, you know, good umpires. So it was fun. <laughs> and like, you know, you have a good sense of humor and you take it seriously. You have fun, but you take it seriously, which is I which I respect, you know what I mean?
1: Oh man. I, I really appreciate that because I don't necessarily think of it that way, but, but that's really well put. I mean, you gotta have fun. You, you gotta, you gotta bust each other's chops. Uh, but you also gotta, you gotta handle business cause it's a job to do and some yeah. guys are too relaxed and they don't take anything serious. And then other guys, you can't get two words out of them cause they're way too serious. So there's a fine line.
0: Yeah, there's definitely is a fine line. Um, I, I like how I go about umpiring man is I, I I do consider it as a job. I go out there and I'm, I'm trying to, um, you know, perform, you know, a job and, and, and get it done correctly. And, um, you can, you can, you can obviously work and have fun at the same time, but, um, you need to get the job done, do the best of your ability. So you, I, that's the first one of the first things I I saw about you. Like you took it seriously, but like, I mean, you have fun out there and you enjoy what you're doing. So,
1: <laughs> well, likewise, my friend. It was a pleasure to work with you. I, I I hope maybe one day we'll get to work a few more games together. All I,
0: I I hope so.
1: <laughs> you're pretty I far away like. now, but maybe maybe uh, we'll find a way. Uh, well, Brian, we'll talk about your baseball umpiring journey for sure. Kind of how you got your start. You're you're a guy that, um, you know, recently. Got to work a couple NCAA regionals at the Division I level, which is a, a huge accomplishment, especially uh, f- for someone, again, I say younger guys, but, uh, you know, we're not so young anymore. I know that. But as far as seeing your name on that regional list, I just couldn't have been happier for you. Get to watch a few of your games as well. Uh, you know, what was it like, uh, again, we'll talk about your early days, but but getting to work at really a pretty high level, one of the highest levels you could possibly work in college baseball and working uh, regionals—the the postseason really of of college baseball.
0: Uh, well, thank you for that. Yeah, it, it's an unbelievable experience. Um, the first regional that I had um, was—I've been extremely lucky. Um, I've had two regionals and. The first regional I went to was Ole Miss, um, which gets you know nine to twelve thousand people in each game, and then my second regional was at Mississippi State, which is probably the best um, college uh, baseball atmosphere in the United States. And that's a, that's my opinion. Um, so I was, I've been very lucky, but unfortunate but like the, the first one you step on the field and it's just like all the hard work you put in through the whole year it, and all the, and all the crap you've been through and all the ups and downs. Um, like, it's just all worth it. Once you step on that field <laughs> and, and like see, you know, 12,000 people going nuts and the atmosphere is unbelievable. Um, it's just something that I like. I don't take for granted at all. Um, It's something that I work, you know, I work towards every year, um, including beginning of this year.
1: I think a lot of uh, baseball fans, and you you could go any sport, really basketball fans, you know, there's that selection Sunday where they show the camera of the, the teams kind of anticipating number one, getting in the tournament. And then for other schools, it's just kind of seating or where they're going. So was there kind of that feeling maybe as you're kind of waiting on that email that gets sent out to all the NCAA umpires that kind of like hope that you were going to get in or did you kind of know, was there that like uh, waiting room anticipation, if you will, when you're kind of waiting to get that call?
0: Well, it's funny. Uh, I, I had no idea. I know I was being looked at Um, I know I was on the list. There's some sort of list, I think, um, from what I'm hearing that, you know, you have to be on and then the regional advisors come and take a look at you. Um, But I I heard I was on that list, but I had no idea. The very first one, I had no idea. Um, And it's funny because um, uh, a guy by the name of Alex who's who's pretty well-known – in uh, collegiate baseball. He um, runs um, United Umpire Group here in the Northeast, and now I'm pretty sure it's nationwide now. But um, it was funny because um, I knew the list was going to come out. I think it comes out on Mondays. And I had no idea what time or anything like that because I I just – I don't know. I just wasn't expecting anything. And um, right at – I think it was like 5 o'clock. Eastern time, I got a phone call from him and he's just like, awesome, congratulations. I'm like, Congra- congratulations <laughs> to what? <laughs> and then like a split second went by, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, he he's congratulating because I, I got a regional and I'm <laughs> like, whoa, and it kind of just hit me and it was just a lot of emotions and it was just a great feeling and then I finally looked it up online and it's just you look at your name, honestly, and you look at the other 95 people and you're like, wow, I don't belong on this list. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> there's just so many guys on the West coast that I looked up to and, and, and try to emulate. And I still do. And they're on that list and I'm on the same list as them. So it's, it's really exciting. And, um, I I'm just very fortunate, honestly, and lucky.
1: Well, if you know, for those that don't know the regionals in the division one level, there are 16 sites, Uh, there are four teams per regional so 64 teams, Uh, at each of those 16 sites, there are six umpires that are assigned to each of those locations so 96 umpires around the country are selected to work this tournament and and go to places such as Mississippi, Mississippi State, Uh, and, and so it's a tremendous honor it's a step towards the ultimate goal for a lot of guys to be one of the eight umpires selected in the Omaha and the College World Series. Uh, before that, there's another round of uh, 32 umpires, I believe, uh, in the Super Regional. So uh, there's a lot going on in the college baseball season in the, in the playoff time, time of the year in uh, May and, and June. Uh, and unfortunately, Brian, it, this was such an odd year because not only was there no post season, but, uh, well over half of the regular season in the blink of an eye was just gone. It, it vanished from us. T- tell me about what that was like for you. Um, uh, do you, do you remember your last game and just kind of the, the getting the news that, man, we're not going to finish our season. This, this kind of sucks.
0: Yeah, it was, it's sort of hit us like a ton of bricks. Um, I want to say that um, uh, we were one of the first people because, well, first of all, I think I only worked four weekends, which um, I'm glad I actually got to work four weekends. Um, Got to work down south first and then came out to the West Coast, worked a couple weekends there. Then I came back and um, I was doing a midweek at the University of Maryland and um, it was a four umpire crew and there was rum obviously at that time uh COVID was coming out and um there was always uh, um there was a, a travel ban already and um so we were kind of hearing rumblings of what um some conferences would do and we after the game i, I did the plate great game we get in the locker room and you know everyone goes to their phone obviously in this time of age, right? Yeah. Um, so one of the umpires gets the phone and he goes, Oh my God. I'm like what? He goes, the Ivy League just got canceled. We're like, what do you mean just got canceled? Like the he's like the entire season just got canceled. Everything got wiped out. And in my head I'm going, Oh my God, that's that's three weekends I have in the Ivy League. they just yeah. gone. I'm like, that's not good. Like man, I hope the rest of the um, the conferences stay that way. Uh, you know, you know, have a season or whatever. And the, the Ivy League, I think, kind of started it. And just every single conference after that, it seemed like almost every day was like, "No, we're going to cancel the season." And it was just, you know, kind of devastating. And you know, kept my equipment in my car for God knows how long. And it just, <laughs> I mean, it's, you, you it's a, it was a difficult thing to, to get through.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, the Ivy league was first. And I remember when they, when they cut it off, it was like, okay, here come the dominoes. And you know what it felt like, uh, Brian, it it felt to me almost like, you know, baseball is like a bad relationship. I think I often talk about that. Like you, you, you love it, but you don't, but the money's good. But also like, there's all these drama you deal with too, but that's like any job. And to me, when, 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 things started to get canceled. It was almost like that relationship you're in where uh, you're like, oh man, she's going to break up with me. She's uh," going to just waiting by the phone. Like, oh, I hope I don't get that phone call. Like you you knew it was happening, but you didn't want to see it. And then sure enough, the emails come in. Hey, this conference is canceled. Hey, this conference is canceled. And it happened so fast. And when it was all over, I just remember sitting there thinking, I don't have anything to do (laughs) from late March uh, until the beginning of June. I mean, that's usually when I'm working baseball and nothing gone, no plans, no nothing. And it was just so like, I don't know, demoralizing really.
0: You know, what's crazy. Like I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have, I have a regular, you know, eight to five job. I, you know, I, I work for a living and I do as, you know, a kind of a side thing. And then you know, there's people like you that you know do it for a living, and that was the very first thing I th- I thought about. I'm like, wow, this is this is devastating to to some people. It, I mean, their livelihood is gone. That's it. Like, well, what are they gonna do? I was lucky enough that I had a, a you know a job to fall back on um, that I didn't have to work. Even though, like you said, the money's the money's great and it helps out tremendously. But man, did I feel bad for for these you know officials that work year round, just you know every sport, and you know what what are they gonna do? Like it, it was, it's very you know you know heartbreaking. You know guys like you and the, our mutual friend Dale Gardner. I, I mean, I thought about him too. It's just just all around sad what happened, honestly.
1: And, and, you know, it wasn't just baseball, but, but I understand what you're saying. It was just this uncertainty. And so many people have ended up losing their jobs and going on unemployment. And it was just this weird time. It was like the world was changing overnight. And, and so for you, Brian, you're someone who's, who's been in sales. You you sell uh, auto automatic doors. I believe you were telling me. Uh, did, did any of this lockdown, did it change any of your work habits or change your business for that matter these past few months?
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, it actually, it it never sold down for me, maybe like a week. But the reason for that is I was considered, um, you know, essential business because, how are you gonna walk into hospitals? You walk into hospitals with automatic doors, you know, revolving doors or whatever. Uh, we do a lot of internal um, doors for hospitals as well, uh, medical office buildings. So um, I, again, like my regular job, I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I, was, I, I kept on working. Um, we, we did furlough a lot of people, but, um, and you know, some of us had to take you know, pay cuts for a couple months, but, um, I mean, I was just glad I had a job and I was in a, I was in an industry, construction industry where, um, we kept on going and, um, you know, we, we got a lot of stuff installed for, for COVID patients. Um, so that was exciting. Um, but yeah, like I said, I've I've just been fortunate to, to be in that position where, um, I didn't really slow down. Honestly. Good.
1: good. Uh, that's good to hear and I know for a lot of people that was the case and uh yeah. you know that's that's wonderful that some people were in that position which uh you know keeps the world going around and I think we're in a spot now where people are starting to go back to work, companies are starting to hire a little bit more and uh it, it's good to see things Kind of, I mean, we'll take anything we can get at this point. Things yeah. are slowly but surely starting to move in the right direction, I think. At least I'm hopeful. So, But outside of work, Brian, what has this, this whole COVID lockdown been, been like for you guys, uh, just your everyday life? I mean, a big focus for you is your daughter, your family. Um, has, it, has it changed a lot about your life like it has so many other people?
0: Um, well, for me, um, I work from home. Um, I go out and uh, go to you know job sites, everything. So for me, um, what changed basically, basically was was wearing masks, you know, every single day going out there, which was different. And then at the very beginning of this stuff, we had no idea what was going on, how contagious it was. So I would go out, come home, basically strip down, um, you know take a shower burn your
1: clothes
0: yeah burn my clothes um yeah i mean i honestly thought about it like doing (laughs) stuff like that it just you just never knew like um i mean that that change, like you know going out food shopping it's just (laughs) so different like the the one thing though that we we kept our daughter home she never really went out but like she's only four so we kept her busy. She would go outside and play in the, you know, in the yard or whatever, but um, it, it was tough to, it's tough to see your child wear a mask. Honestly. Uh, yeah. It's just, it, like that's all she, I mean, she's only four and it's been what, how many months, five months. And that's all she knows. Like, that's just, it's tough. And then like, you know, school wise, she, we signed her up for preschool and you know, we just, got a notice saying like everyone's got to wear a mask and we're like she's not gonna wear a mask <laughs> like, she's gonna rip that thing off like you gotta yeah you gotta, you got to tell a four-year-old to wear a mask and and then socially distance from their friends that's just come not, on it's not gonna happen
1: they want to go they want to go play in the sandbox and get dirty and uh you know jump on the the uh the, the jungle gym that everyone else has been touching and do all those things yeah you know Exactly. oh my goodness yeah i don't know what's gonna happen for kids going forward here it's uh again We'll see what happens, I guess.
0: Yeah, I had, honestly, like I had a depressing moment, honestly, the, when I it, when it was like really into it, um, I had to go to a hospital, and I was a little freaked out, because I didn't know what to expect, but I, I went into the hospital, <clears throat> came out, put my mask on on a mic, or took my mask off, actually, and then I said, what if, what, if the, what if COVID's on my jeans or something? <laughs> or my shirt. I like, I had, n- had no idea where like, does it, is it just on the mask or does it like, does it get on your jeans or sh- your, your shirt? <laughs> like, like I just went to a hospital, like what chance do I have of not getting it? It was my thing. And luckily I, I have not, but at least I don't think I have. <laughs> so no symptoms, but yeah. that was like, that was like, a, yeah. Uh, an eye opening experience for me. Cause I was like, this is, it's kind of ridiculous. You can't, you can't stop something like, like this. If you're going to get it, you're going to get it.
1: No, that's, that's very well said. And I think, uh, again, I'm no scientist, but that's the great outlook on it. It's like, okay, you can only do so much prevention just like any other, any other sickness I would think. And uh, yeah, I think we were told different things and there's been all kinds, it's always somewhere in the middle with, with these reports and, uh i i tried to I, everyone was glued to the tv for a while i said i'm not listening to this stuff i'm not going to sit there and, and and tie my time up in this uh but, but but yeah you talk about you know wearing a mask and oh man can you get it on i i heard one report they said they were like hey can you um is 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 running the air conditioner at making your covet at risk and i, I was like Okay, I don't care if I get covered or not. I'm not turning the air
0: conditioner off, guys. No, Sorry, no, it's not no. happening. <laughs> guys like you and me, we need the air conditioner.
1: Oh, man, I need I need it 60 degrees every night. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I wake up sweating, but, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, Now, air conditioner. That's where I draw the line, Brian. I go, nope, nope, not doing <laughs> it. <laughs> well, oh, Brian- <laughs> God. Uh, well, Brian – Talked about your daughter, kind of growing up and everything. What what it was, what was like like for you growing up? You said you grew up in in Massachusetts, and uh, you know I don't hear an accent from you over the over the years I've known you. So uh, how hardcore were you uh, in, in the? That changed the, quickly. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about so, growing up in Massachusetts.
0: So I mean, you got. I mean, I I I grew up. Uh, see, my parents are from upstate New York, so I grew up a Yankees and Giants fan. In the state of Massachusetts And I I grew up in central Massachusetts And believe it or not It's a different type of accent Than the Boston accent Um, But um, Yeah I used to have an accent And it comes out every once in a while Once I have have a few beers in me But uh, Or beers (laughs) But But like it, It was something that I I changed actually in college and here's a, here's a story. I, I, I will never forget this because I was a catcher. I went to school in upstate New York and I was a catcher and the, like one of the first fall practices that we had, I'm catching and we're doing drills, throwing the home plate as a plate, you know, plays at the plate. And as a catcher, like, what do you do? You yell four, you know, four, four, four. <laughs> so my like the first practice, I'm I'm there going, four, 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 like that, and like the like a deep Mass X ex- accent, and everyone on the field just starts laughing, and I'm sitting there going, what's everyone laughing at? <laughs> I'm like, well, why is everyone laughing? And it took honestly like a good five to ten seconds, and then someone I think it was an infielder was like four, four, four. And just making fun of me like, oh, okay. That's why everyone's laughing. Like, like, all right. So uh, since then like ever since then, I, I I've tried to work on not to not to talk like a mass hole.
1: <laughs> I haven't heard that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my goodness. But sport like sport wise, it was tough. Like it was tough. I was a Yankees fan in Red Sox territory. All my friends are Red Sox fans and and Man, I got shit my my entire childhood. Uh, I mean, the, the the battles the Yankees and the Red Sox had when we were younger it was just it was tremendous baseball. But what I what I learned I mean, I'd always get in arguments and fights about you know Yankees Red Sox. But what I learned what pisses Red Sox fans off the the worst is that if you act like you don't care, honestly, like you just. You, you, you know they they say stuff to you like oh you know Derek Cheetah, like yeah yeah They're like yeah whatever and they go even more nuts mm-hmm. and it's just fun watching them uh, squirm and go you know get even more pissed off.
1: Fight me, come on, argue with me, fight. No, it's not, man. Yeah. man. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whatever. It's all good. <laughs> there's, there's a good lesson in that. It's, that's not just uh, sports and rivalries. I mean, that can be utilized in life, too, with some people.
0: Yeah, uh, it's tough. It was tough. <laughs> Dude, it took me a long time to figure that out. But, uh, but like, my closest high school friends, like, we, we bust each other's balls, obviously. Um, so they're a little more forgiving. But there's some, you know, childhood friends, man. We still go back and forth. Honestly. So,
1: so they must just absolutely hate your guts then that Tom Brady doesn't have two more Super Bowls because of
0: your New York Giants. Oh, yeah. Oh, any <laughs> chance I get 18 and one, any chance I get to mention that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it.
1: Heck yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Tom Brady, uh, pretty, pretty amazing. I know that whole region loves him. And now in Tampa, they love him. But, uh, man, the Giants just, couple of Super Bowls just out of nowhere but it's not about your regular season it's not about how pretty it is it's about hoisting that Lombardi trophy in February that's all that matters
0: bulking the wild card and staying hot in the playoffs that's basically what it is <laughs> the Giants did and then throwing a Hail Mary pass to David Tyree that's basically oh, what it is man.
1: One the, well actually yeah that catch that was one of the best catches of all time and then uh, another catch along the left sideline the second Manningham. time I think right Manningham yeah that toe tapper, and uh, I do remember that that, uh, refer, that sideline official in, on that play, I think was a Southern California guy, uh, Garth. I, no, that's, not, that's an umpire. Anyway, I don't want to mess up his name, but I remember guys uh, out here, football officials were like, oh, yeah, so-and-so was the official on that play. Uh, well, the, the New York Giants, we'll talk all New York sports teams now, since, since you, you grew up in Massachusetts. did Now, most guys follow their parents, follow their dad. Was it, was there ever a conversation? Did he take you to games or was it just, Hey, my dad's wearing a Yankees hat. I want to wear a Yankees hat. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that, I think it was more of that for us. Uh, my dad was a huge Mickey Mantle fan mm-hmm. um, growing up. So um, he, he didn't really pressure us, but it was him watching, you know, the, the Yankees and the Giants all the time. And we we would sit there and watch him and he never really, like I said, never really pressured us. So we, like, we didn't grow up that way where it's gotta be the Yankees. It's gotta be the Giants. It wasn't really like that, but it's, I think in the back of his mind, I think he's happy that <laughs> we, we grew up Yankees fans. I mean, we would go to games. Um, my favorite player growing up was Don Mattingly. And I still remember the first Yankee game we went to, where um, we sat up in the low section, and I'm talking, I think this is, might have been 91 or 92. We sat up in the low section. Nobody's there. The Yankees are terrible. We got great seats, and um, couldn't wait to see Don Mattingly. Like it was just one of those, you know, days. I was like, oh, can't wait. My older brother was there too. Like we couldn't wait to go see and watch on that. we get there and he's out of the lineup JT Snow started in his place It was his first major league baseball game wow we were so upset and then JT Snow had like a pretty decent career but um yeah it was so frustrating that he didn't <laughs> play first base that day but that was my first yankee game and then i've, I've been to you know obviously tons One of the most memorable ones was 1996. um, Went to Game Six of the World Series and watched them win against the Atlanta Braves. Um, So that was that was an exciting moment. Thought the stadium was going to collapse, but (laughs) (laughs) everyone cheering. But yeah, it was it was it was um, it was a great game. And um, I've been to tons of games, obviously, since then. So, Brian, how old were you in uh, 2001? Two thousand one. You make me do math at you know eleven fifteen at night. Come on, come on. You gotta
1: keep, stay on your toes, brother.
0: Um, I was
1: okay. What you are 19, now minus nineteen. Okay, so you are So you were nineteen years old. Um, yeah, reason, you know, I, br- I I bring it up. We're talking New York sports, and you just you can't help but kind of think about, especially the Yankees uh, during that time uh, in the late nineties, and of course. Uh, you know, September 11th, 2001 was one of the worst days uh, this country's ever seen. And you yeah. being a, an East Coast guy, um, I think you mentioned you may have been in New York, the state of New York at that time. Um, just just what was that like? Not only just the the, the event itself, but kind of the direction everybody went, the, the coming together. Uh, I saw it 3,000 miles away on the West Coast, but what was it like kind of being a little closer to – Uh, that that major event and then the aftermath as you know the Yankees had a magical run unfortunately uh, lost a tough one in game seven to the Diamondbacks but just what can you tell me about all that experience there in September in October of 2001
0: yeah a lot of emotions back then Um, I was in college at the time at uh, I was going to a, a college called RPI and it's in Troy, New York, which is right across the Hudson River from Albany. So I was about two hours away, two and a half hours away from the from New York City. Um, I was actually getting ready to go to class. I was taking a shower and one of my friends uh, like barged in. He's like, hey, a plane just hit one of the towers, Twin Towers. I'm like, oh, really? That's weird thinking it was like a, like a little Cessna or something like that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, finished my, my shower and started walking out and he goes, yo, another plane hit the tower. I'm like, Whoa, this is not good. Like immediately feel like I felt something. I'm like that. This is not good. Immediately turn on the, um, the news and just saw the towers and, um, Lot of emotions that day, um, you know. Went to class, but everyone was on was on edge really, because um, we didn't know what was going on. Um, everyone was talking, you know. It's it's a possible terrorist attack, and uh, the next couple of days, um, I actually thought about going down there and helping out, and I I, I, I really thought about it. And I, I was honestly very, very close of popping in my car and just driving down there and helping. And I was watching the news and I forgot who it was, but they said, if, you, if you're if you thinking about coming down and helping out, please stay home. So I, I, I literally, I listened to that. I'm like, okay, I'll just stay home then. I, I was going to go that day just to go down and help out. And, you know, it was it was a very emotional day. Um, for all of us uh, especially how close we were Um, you know but but like you talked about like the aftermath um, it was so I mean like I I wish I could feel that again how just everybody was so patriotic and together and friendly and because all the issues you have in life like it didn't matter yeah it was you know it, like it could be worse and that was the worst it could be nine eleven. so it was um it was a tough it was a tough time to get through um and then you know you like you talked about the, you know watching the yankees it, it definitely helped get your mind off it sports you know helps get your mind off things um and mm-hmm. watching that run man it was it was so good it was such a great world series um <laughs> the very last game, obviously, was not fun. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Rivera giving up that that hit, that blooper. Um, but I mean, like, I don't care what you think about him. I have my issues with him too. But I mean, George Bush throwing out the first pitch. I yeah, mean, he that was incredible. The, incredible, like he's, <laughs> I like he couldn't have thrown the ball any better. Yeah, I mean, it split the plate, like perfect strike. And like I said, I don't care what you you think about them. um, But that was amazing to me. Like, how do you go out there all by yourself out to the mound, out to the rubber and, and throw a perfect strike like that. Like it was just goosebumps. Excuse me goosebumps. Oh,
1: still every time I see it, man, it's something just incredible. Yeah. I mean, in New York city, in, in Yankee stadium after nine 11, Um, I think he was anywhere in an NYFD jacket or something like that. I mean uh, just one of the moments that you will always remember and and that is just an iconic picture and video. Uh, And again, like you said, I don't care who you are or who, you know, that's one thing i wish we could do more these days brian is put politics aside because we kind of put politics into everything and there's people that would take a nice moment like that one of the best moments in american history i think and make it political and have opinions about the guy and this and that And i'm like wait a minute let's let's savor the moment of what really happened here i mean that's right. that's what's important and uh, I, i've never really talked to anyone who's been on the east coast during that time which is kind of one of i wanted to bring it up Uh, I have behind me we're doing a zoom meeting I have behind me on on my wall an American flag and it's very important to me because it has every name of every person who died in 9-11 and it's one of my most prized possessions I actually got it at ground zero and it's on my wall and I walk by it I see it every day and I can't believe man that one month from now we're going to be looking at like 19 years ago uh, that it all happened you know and I don't know what's going to bring us together, Brian, in, in the country yeah. these days. I really don't. I, I'm, I'm hopeful, but it's it's so bad. And and I just – I wish people would think back to moments like that and yeah. be like, hey, this was the best time after the worst time that we came together and we were one. And we didn't agree on everything. I, I guarantee you, people didn't agree on everything back then. No. But, man, it was – it was cool shaking someone's hand and and just hugging someone and whatever. Like it, it, it was, you were proud to wave the red, white, and blue. And now even that's under attack and maybe that's a different episode, but, uh, yeah, I, it's a special time and being a New York guy, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, man, because as, as it comes up the anniversary every year, it's definitely worth talking about.
0: Yeah. It's honestly, um, I uh, I don't know if I should be mentioning this. I don't know if my wife's going to be listening or not, but she was actually she was actually down there mm-hmm. when it happened. So it's a, it's really personal for her and you know people talk about all the lives lost during that time but the amount of lives that affected after the fact yeah. is people don't even people don't realize they just they just count, you know, the deaths and there's a lot more psychological stuff going on um, to people when, when you witness something like that. So um, yeah, it's very personal when, when you really think about it um, on, you know, when you, you know, get to the day and you kind of reflect on it where mm-hmm. you were and just, yeah, it's, it's a very emotional day. And um, I really wish, like you say, we could just go back to, <laughs> go back to nine twelve, man back to 912 where everyone gets along and we're living in some crazy times right now man we're just it's so divided right now and I hate it I, I do too
1: I do too and that's why I try to get on here with uh, friends colleagues uh, just different walks of life people that have come through through my life and just just have a conversation man it and it doesn't have to all be about agreeing on things it's just talking and catching up because that's been so helpful for me personally uh, during this whole thing. Uh, it's been so fun. You, you almost needed an excuse to to talk to friends and here we are and we're doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, well, Brian, tell me, it wasn't too long after that that you ended up out in California and even though you were a Massachusetts, uh, Connecticut, New York guy, somehow, <laughs> somehow you wind out, you wind out in uh, basically the Los Angeles area. You could tell us all the details, but what, what went into that decision and, and man, what a, what a difference in uh lifestyles. I, I gotta imagine.
0: Completely different, <laughs> <laughs> completely different opening difference. Um, uh, so I, I was living after college. I did move to Connecticut, started to work for my company there. And, um, I, uh, thought about getting into sales. Um, I kind of have the personality for it, um, like to talk to people. And um, a sale job opened up in California. And I had a couple friends out in, in, in L.A. And I was young. I think I was, oh, man, 24 at the time. Um, I said, you know what, Let me, let me try this out. And I thought honestly I was gonna be out there for like five years and then come back. Yeah. Like that was a whole plan all along. Yeah, you know, let me try it out for five years and you know, I'll I'll move on my way back. But yeah, I, I was out there for eleven eleven years and like it became home. Um but I, I ended up in, in Sherman Oaks first. I was in San Fernando Valley and like we talked about earlier, guys like you and me like the uh like the cooler weather so i sat I, I sat in my apartment basically nine months of the year in the air conditioning because i couldn't stand the san fernando valley heat um yeah it was really hot so i, I had a friend in uh, santa monica and uh i was able to move down there after i think it was like a year and a half maybe two years in sherman oaks so I moved down to Santa Monica and lived in Santa Monica until I, I moved on back. But yeah, it's a a different life for sure. Um, I'm used to the fast pace, you know, um, you know, a hundred miles an hour with everything, East coast lifestyle, you get out there and everyone's just laid back and, uh, they take their time with things. Um, it is it oh, it's a different lifestyle and <laughs> some, sometimes i'm okay with it other times uh it gets me really frustrated like driving uh, oh. from one thing it, it is i get so frustrated uh with driving in california it's it's so bad I, honestly like everyone makes fun of massachusetts people with the way you know, we drive and we're aggressive and stuff like that. But you have six lane highways in California mm-hmm. and everyone's going the same speed, you know, <laughs> 10 miles per hour below the speed limit. <laughs> so, uh, like, I don't know if people don't get the the rules of the road. Like, the, the left lane should be the passing lanes. But I'm always passing on the right in California. Like, I just don't get it. Like, it, it was, it's driving there is something that, um, I i got road rage pretty quickly, and I uh,
1: you know what it feels like is everyone thinks they're important out here, everyone's special out here, everyone has a story, yes. and they're they're uh, you know, hey, I can- I deserve to go this speed, I- I'm i whatever. I live about 45, uh, maybe 50 miles from LAX. I went there today, it took me about an hour and a half going there, and uh, probably under two hours, yeah, two hours or so coming back. Uh, so. <laughs> It, and that's pretty good. <laughs> so it's, it is, it's not for everyone. What would you say some of your uh, assumptions were about Los Angeles, California before coming out here? And then kind of what were some surprises outside of what you just mentioned uh, as far as kind of the culture or
0: the people or whatever? I, I, well, I, th- I think you just mentioned that it's uh, t- for me, I think it was the people. <laughs> um, I, I think it's tough to pinpoint how to describe people, like the majority of people. Yeah, Cause I mean, yeah. I like, I'm friends with you, like you're cool laid back. I have other friends there that are cool laid back. A lot of my friends in, in LA in LA though, they were East coast people. Um, but the, like the, the true LA people, like, like you said, like they, they want, They want you to like them, like it was. It's something that they (laughs) go out of their way, like, hey, like, what's the matter? Like, you don't want to talk to me? It's like, (laughs) I don't have to be your friend. Like, we can go our separate ways. You don't have to be friends with everybody. Uh huh. Like, that was the most. That was the craziest thing that, um, I saw about people. And to me, it's just yeah. A lot of people thought they were way. too important than than what they were um but another surprising thing to me was there was a lot of down-to-earth people uh because you i'm thrown in the mix and all these people like hollywood and everyone thinks they're an actor um or a writer and they work in the industry but then you get like real people that you know work the regular jobs blue collar people like those are real people out there and I respect those people. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a little different. Um, people wise. Um, one of the first things I, I did though, was try different fast foods. Like I was introduced to all these new fast food places. So I, tried fat burger. I tried in n out, obviously. Um, my fat burger experience was not, I've, I've only been there once and it was like the first week I was, I lived there and I never went back. It was just a terrible experience. Yeah. And I'm missing anything. Yeah. I'm missing anything there.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, 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 Brian, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of East coast people out here, as you mentioned, you know, they come out here and uh, you know, they, they root for their football teams and they uh, they almost kind of, I don't know, bring their way of life almost out here. And uh, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of Californians who've lived here their whole lives. I'm one of them. I'm, you know, we're ready to move elsewhere. It doesn't have to be all the way to the East coast, but you know, Arizona or Nevada, Texas somewhere uh, just cause it's, it's very difficult to live out here. And, and you lived in a pretty expensive area, Santa Monica, uh, even San Fernando's a little better, but anything around LA is just, man, uh, it's been a while since you've been here, but, I got to imagine even back then it was pricey and just the cost of living had to be eye opening, Didn't
0: it? Cost of living was yeah. Unbelievable. (laughs) Um, I, I honestly, I lived paycheck to paycheck for about 11 years when I was out there. Um, did I enjoy where I lived? Yeah. I was in Santa Monica. I was nine blocks from the ocean. Um, so I'm paying for it. And, um, I, did I have a nice apartment? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was okay. Uh, a lot of issues with it, but, um, I mean, yeah, the cost of living, if I wanted to move back to Santa Monica right now, I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at the, at the time that I left, um, which was 2016, we had a three bedroom, and I want to say it was close to three grand I think a month <laughs> to to rent and we moved out the next people in immediately got it got rented for, for four grand oh. like um, they immediately jacked it up and and it went right away,
1: yeah, oh uh, it's crazy uh, yeah driving people around over there when I'm driving for Uber and Lyft and I hear all these, how much rents are at these in Hollywood and uh, West LA and all this. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like why? Like, I mean, maybe if you work now, not even then, like, it's just too, too much money. Um, oh, it's unbelievable. Well, uh, Brian, as far as coming to California, one big thing, obviously that uh, grew as you were out here was your umpiring career. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you worked, uh, you eventually worked, uh, you know, Division One, a couple Division One conferences. And just kind of tell me about what it was like coming out here, umpiring college baseball and, and kind of beginning your climb, would you say, out here?
0: Yeah. In fact, I started umpiring out in California. Okay. Um, I've always been into officiating. Um, I've been a basketball referee for a very, very long, long time. I started when I was 14 years old, um, reffing basketball games and i i mean I, I mean i i umpired like literally games when i was younger 13 14 years old but then i stopped and i, I really concentrated on basketball basketball is exciting uh, to me and the the reason why i never got into umpiring is cuz i was always playing and um i just i always thought i was a player you know i'm a player i'm not an umpire i'm a player yeah you know what i mean but i i, I respected the um the umpires because i was i was Myself an official, I was a re- I was a basketball referee, so I understood for the most part where they came from and how do they handle their business. But um, I I was I, I immediately started refing out there because I was refing in in Connecticut. So I started reffing immediately out there had some high school games. Uh, eventually got into college uh, basketball and worked with some guys out in in high school b- basketball, and they started asking me like, Hey, do you, do you, work baseball? I'm like, Nope, Nope. I, uh, I'm a player. I still, <laughs> I still think I can play in those adult leagues on Sundays <laughs> and, you know, midweek and night. So I, um, I was like, no, no, I'm not doing it. <clears throat> and then constantly getting asked, you know, you should, you should do umpire. You should try doing umpiring. So I'm like, you know what, screw it. Let me try it out. Um, got into high school and Honestly, I started from the bottom. I was doing one-man games, you know, one-man JV games, freshman and JV games. And, um, yeah, I started, dude, looking back, how difficult one man is. (laughs) I I I mean, I can remember just making calls at second base behind the mound, you know, running all (laughs) the way out there to second base and making calls. It was a – it was a cool experience because like I had no idea what I was doing had no idea. So, you know, I had a lot of help uh, from the guys that were looking out for me, um, which, you know, I appreciate. And, you know, there's just a lot of good people in in the baseball umpire world that look out for other umpires and try to, you know, get them better. Um, But I did, um, I did work with the umpire, Um, who used to work, um, like my regular job, I I, I worked with him. Um, He used to work in AAA, got all the way up to AAA, did some spring training games. And when I started getting into uh, baseball, I would talk to him about it and be like, hey, what do I do here? What do I do about this? And I would ask his opinion on things. And eventually, uh, he told me to start going to camps because that's the best way to you know, get better. So, um, I think I was three years in umpiring. Um, I started going to camps and went to camps for like, I don't know, five, six, seven years straight. Something like that. Probably five, five, six years straight, just trying to get better. And, you know, just eventually worked my way up, um, went to work JC ball and then got, um, hired in division two and then, you know, eventually division one. So I, I started from, you know, basic high school ball. I never really, uh, I didn't do the pro route. Um, I was never really, I I mean, looking back on it, if someone told me I should have, like I should have gone, I I may have thought about it, but no one ever mentioned to me when I was in college or whatever, and I was refing basketball, no one ever mentioned anything to me, Hey, you should try to work professional baseball. And I, like looking back, I, I I probably would have tried it, but I mean no one knowing a lot of stories about you guys in the minor leagues, it's like I don't know how I could have could have managed that. It was it's just a tough, tough road.
1: Yeah, I, I have no doubt that you would have done well, uh, you know, at the right age and going to umpire school and just having a few years to kill in your life and just dive into it. And what's yeah. funny is is none of us really knew or know, you know, when you're doing it, like how to deal with things. You Some guys think they know, and it's really funny because they really don't. But uh, they're like all of us. And so you're just learning just like anything else, man. Like you talk about college baseball, college basketball. I mean, uh, I, I look at basketball officials like uh, – cause I worked high school basketball. I worked high school and college football and I would always think, man, guys take a lot of grief from coaches and stuff. And it's a different kind of relationship. Um, But, but if you could, Brian, real quick, what would you tell me about? I don't know, switching, you don't wear hats in basketball, but uh, you know, trading your, your umpire mask for a basketball whistle. What was that? I I mean, what, what was it like and just how you carried yourself? Was it controlling the game the same way or did you have to use different tools at different times?
0: It's, it's different. Basketball is different. Um, yeah. Basketball, um, y- yeah, you get some blow ups, but it, it's almost like a constant nagging um, by the coaches every time down the court. Um, you know, every time you're on their side of the court, there's something that they see that they want to mention to you. And you got to learn to deal with that. You got to learn to go about your business and not let that affect you. Um, cause obviously you're going to start missing calls if you, if you pay attention to them more than the game itself. So it, it's a much different, um, much different game. Um, I know that when I first moved out to California where I came from in Connecticut, we didn't really, it was like a no nonsense high school group where. Um, we threw around technical files left and right. It was just <laughs> to keep, keep the coaches in, in, in line. And then when I got out California, the whole laid back attitude um, um, was in full effect. And it took me a long time to figure out how I needed to uh, conduct my, my business and, and how to talk to coaches. And it was a great learning experience for me to learn how to get a coach from, you know, level 10 down to level two by just talking to him. Um, So basketball helped me out tremendously with people skills, tremendously. And then when I got into baseball, I still, I will never forget this. The first time a coach came out on me, it was a high school varsity game. The very first time a coach came out on me to argue a call. And after it was done, he started walking away. And I remember in my head going, that was it? Like this is this is easy. Yeah. Like this this is this is nothing. Like Uh basketball, like I would have 15 of those conversations every night. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's much different. I I, for you obviously football's gotta be almost the same thing as basketball. I mean, I don't do football, I don't work football, but basketball was something where I had to learn people skills very quickly and how to talk to people. (laughs) yeah i was i'm a very stubborn person (laughs) and i i take things personal so like that combination with with basketball officiating just it doesn't mix
1: no no it doesn't Uh, i think you and i are very like-minded i really mean that we've worked baseball Uh, it's fun to talk to you about the other sports because like i said i think uh, we're on the same page uh, with a lot of things And, uh, you know, I'll say California's not right about everything. That's for sure. They're not right about many things we'll say. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from a lifelong, uh, California, but Brian, you got, you eventually, uh, moved back to the East coast and kind of what went into that was it kind of work related. Was it your, your wife kind of had some opportunities she was from there or kind of what eventually took you back to the East coast?
0: Uh, well, we, um, we had our daughter in um, 2015 and we knew when she was pregnant that we would want to eventually get back to the East coast just to be closer to our, to my, to our families. Cause my family, my parents are still in Massachusetts. I got family in upstate New York. My wife's family is all New York city, the Bronx Long, Long Island. So we wanted to get as close to that as possible. Um, so, I mean, we weren't in a, um, we don't want to move immediately, but, um, you know, I kept on looking with my job to see if any openings came up and eventually, you know, a a sales job in Philadelphia came, became open. And, um, I took the chance to, to move on back just to be closer to family. Honestly, that was the main reason, um, besides, you know, having road rage,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man!
0: Well, and the cost of uh, living.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, all all that. Yeah, uh, and and you like it cold anyway, so uh, it's all good. And uh, but anyway, well, I don't want to take too much more of your your time, Brian. I I do find it interesting. You know, you kind of go full circle with your life and going yeah. starting on the East Coast and ended up there. But things are working out for you. You know, you you're working some Ivy League baseball and some other conferences out there. But uh, you know, opportunities to work. NCAA regionals. I mean, I know that's the goal and uh, couldn't be happier for you, my friend. I mean, to see the success and uh, you know, living outside of Philly now, I mean, what's next for you? Just kind of enjoying, enjoying the, the family right now. Uh, any thoughts of a, a second little one soon or not? Not quite.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. We've thought about <laughs> it for sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I, whatever happens happens, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean that's up that's up to that's up to god right
1: amen um, brother amen
0: uh yeah just you know trying to enjoy um being close to family but not too close yes <laughs> um it's the it's that's a, the good thing about living in philadelphia um around philadelphia is that we are very close to new york but still a little ways away where we have our own space uh the only issue about philadelphia is their accents which i don't I'm not a fan of we're,
1: we're <laughs> but, back to accents and they uh, won the accents, super yeah. and they're still partying from that Super Bowl they won a couple years ago
0: yeah and and I'm gonna quote Bill Burr here, but they're the best athlete ever come out of is rocky
1: <laughs> dude i i bill burr that that clip he did where he bagged on Philly for like twelve minutes straight or one, something one of the
0: best one of the best i mean one of the best things I've ever heard in my entire life.
1: Oh, hands down. And, and be it someone who lives there now, you appreciate it even more, I bet. I I yep. turn that on every once in a while, and I laugh so hard. I uh, Eagles, you haven't been good since leather helmets. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Phillies and heavy bags on the candy stripe uh, uniforms. He just goes off. It is so funny.
0: Uh, he's, all he's such a probably my favorite comedian. He's one of the funniest comedians out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're having a bad day, Look up Bill Burr, Sherry's berries. Just look it up, and you will laugh. No matter how bad of a day you have, you will laugh hard every single time. It's that good. Just trust me. Look it up when you have a chance.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, and yeah. That that sounds fantastic. I may do that right now. Uh, well, Brian, kind of in closing, I mean, with sports opening up and everything. Um, and what are your thoughts? Are you happy they're back? Did you kind of learn to live without sports? You got other things on your mind besides sports? I mean, uh, just, I don't know what are your general thoughts regarding professional sports being back, especially kind of all of them now here in August and into September.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I hated it. I hated it. Like no sports. I really did. <laughs> I was like, you know, you, you, you get into routine when when baseball starts and, um, you know, for us as umpires, um, you get in a routine and when you get out of that routine, it's, it's very difficult to um, figure out what to do with yourself, honestly. And uh, I mean, I was counting the days till MLB came back so I could just sit there and watch something. And um, man, I'm glad it's back. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's, it's, I I don't care what teams, honestly, I'll sit there and watch it. Um, I just, I love the sport. Um it's um you know with the COVID stuff it's it's tough, but uh, you know, not being there, no fans, or whatever. But um just glad to see, you know, baseball again, umpires out there doing their thing. Uh it's just good to good to see that stuff and Aaron Judge, you know, kicking ass. <laughs>
1: Oh, always, always that Yankee, that yeah, Yankee yeah. fan. Okay, well, yeah. hey, I think they're they're gonna have a great year. Uh, I hope I hope your Giants ha, have an improved year. Uh, Dan, what's his name? Quarterback Daniel, Daniel, Jones. Daniel Jones. Yeah, I I and, think he's gonna do good things, man. I really do. <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> maybe he, not next year. Does. Yeah, I don't know. Like he he's still up in the air for me. Like he he shows. Me moments of greatness and then like he'll fumble the ball 18 25 <laughs> times a game something like that you're like oh, all right man like just pull yeah. out the ball
1: yeah
0: <laughs> i'm one of the biggest pessimists though for the giants like i'm, I'm miserable with the giants because every single move that they do i just don't like so except for saquon barkley obviously i think that was a great move. oh but, yeah um, it's just giant giants are tough with me
1: yeah well a lot of fans feel that way yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, but, but I, but I totally hear you. It's been a rough couple of years. Uh, I think they're going to go, they're going to go upward and, uh, and we'll see what happens, but excited for the NFL, excited for sports are back. We have so yeah. many options right now. It's absolutely amazing. And uh, Brian, I know it's, it's really late where you're at. I really appreciate you staying up. Spending some time with me, I could talk with you for another hour, but I'm going to let you yeah. go. Uh, let's we'll, do this again. Let's do it again. Well, to be continued. Maybe when football starts, we'll have a New York Giants preview with Brian Marine or something like that. Oh, well,
0: yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> and we'll we'll talk about the World Series because the Yankees are going to be in it too, right? Yes,
1: yes, sure. uh, yes. They will be there um, watching, I think. But anyway, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, no, they'll they'll probably be in it because uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so we'll see what happens. A lot more sports to talk, man. But thanks for joining me today. Uh, It was absolute uh, pleasure and let's talk real soon, man.
0: Yeah. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Good to see you.
1: Thanks again, Brian Marine for getting us around third and home safe for the weekend. Appreciate your time. My best to you, your family, everything moving forward, man. I know we're 3000 miles away, but hopefully we can see each other down the road here in the very near future thanks again for coming on the program, Brian. We'll see you soon. Well, guys, that will wrap up our week of shows here on the Get Home Safe podcast. It is definitely one I will remember. Not only did we celebrate our 100th episode on Monday, but we were able to honor a legendary coach from my high school at Rio Hondo Prep in Ken Drain, who spent a lot of his life being a coach and mentor at real hondo prep. It was awesome having so many different names come on the program and be able to leave a voice message for Mr. Drain. That was something very special, something I'm really proud of that we got to do on Monday and everyone who was a part of that. Thank you so much for uh, participating. It came out really great. Got some other great episodes throughout the week. Uh, coach Drain's daughter, oldest daughter, Tawny Drain was on the following day. That was very interesting and some, uh, very informative and, and, uh, really motivating as well uplifting with uh, her story bill barnes was fired up on wednesday and my good friend uh, max hernandez talking about some football yesterday on thursday was a lot of fun as well so it's been a really good week Uh, i can promise you looking at our guest list for next week i do have some shuffling to do and some putting things in order but it's going to be another good week i'm looking forward to it i think you guys will really enjoy it there'll be some informative stuff there'll be a couple different guests on then kind of our usual slate if you will so uh again working hard to put out good content i really want this show to be something anyone can listen to not just umpires not just real hondo prep alums but uh everybody so, something some people can get something from this show one way or another uh, something everyone can hear and uh, we'll want to chime into uh, every day here monday through friday as we put out episodes on the Get Home Safe podcast, as always, guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod, Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast, and our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you, so write us in, give us a question, give us a content suggestion, uh, an argument, whatever you want to do. It'll give us an idea of uh, what to talk about. I will then pl- I could play a voice message to you guys if you want to write in excuse me, slow it down, Matt. If you'd like to write in an email, uh, any of that, we would love to hear from you. That's the best way to get a hold of us. There's other options as well. There's a voice message option on the Anchor app or the anchor.fm website. You can go there, find our podcast, get home safe. You can click on the green button, leave a voice message. It's a one minute limit, but you can leave a voice message if you want. I can play that on the air, much like a caller calling into a radio show. Obviously it's not live, but I can play your voice and then respond to your question or your content suggestion, whatever the case may be. If that's too much for you but you still want to kind of let your voice be heard, if you will, you could shoot me a text message with a voice text message. I can then uh, download that. That's no big deal. It's one more step. No big deal at all. Uh, We would love to have anyone on the program who uh, would like to have their voice heard. So, Definitely chime in. We love our listeners. We're glad you're you're here listening to us every day, Monday through Friday here on the Get Home Safe podcast. We got some great shows next week. Can't wait to put out great content for you guys. And I hope everybody has a wonderful and a safe weekend uh, as we move on here in the month of August. Uh, we'll be over halfway done with August by the time we start back up on Monday. Crazy, crazy times we're in, but the uh, thing is moving right along. Be safe for the, over the weekend, guys. Have a great few days off. And guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.